the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Clock on this Tuesday, the 29th morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Thank you so much for joining us. And thanks also to Melissa Atkinson for uh, bringing that very disturbing story to us. I told you I've been looking for lawyers to answer this question. And uh, I've got one on the line now, but he's, this isn't his area of uh, specialty. But uh, I'm going to ask him about it anyway, just because uh, I, I'm looking for something. I'm looking for something uh, to which we can cling, perhaps, to try to bring an end uh, to this uh, horrific situation. Peter Kirstenau joins us now. Peter Kirstenau, of course, is a Cleveland attorney. He is also the host of the Kirstenau Report, which you hear each and every day at some point or another uh, on AM 1420, The Answer, during the various day parts. And he is also a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Mr. Kersenow, good to talk to you, sir. How are you? Doing great, Bob. Only 14 days to the official start of spring, pitchers and catchers, and 58 days into opening day. Even though it's, you know, I guess we're going to have a wind chill of about 30 or 40 below, it still feels like spring is right around the corner to me. I uh, I salute your optimism, Pete, but i got to tell you, I am so less looking forward to pitchers and catchers reporting this year than I have been in previous years because of the gutting of the team that have, they have already begun yeah. and, and are probably not done with uh, and all of these salary slash moves that they're doing. I, I have very, very little excitement about this right now, Pete. We lost a lot of offense, and, uh, you know, we got to compete against the New Yorks, the Bostons, the Houstons that uh, all have upgraded. Even though they had, uh, they were loaded last year, they've upgraded even more, and we've lost offense and haven't really done anything to improve it. it like the last six or seven years, the off-seasons have been a lot of fun. Uh, we saw significant upgrades in crucial spots. Uh, that's not been the case this year. I give the leadership at, at the Indians the benefit of the doubt because they've made a lot of great moves over the last seven, eight years. Uh, but I, I agree with you, Bob. It's a little, little concerning going into spring training that we haven't made any, uh, any roster moves. And from what I understand, uh, I think Paul Hoynes and others have written that the Indians are done for right now. Not to say that they won't make a move, you know, right around the trading deadline, but, um, uh, yeah, we can compete in the Central, no doubt about that, with the pitching staff we have. And, but we also have a window of opportunity, uh, and that window of opportunity you know, ends with either Lindor or Ramirez, maybe both, leaving in a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, that window is uh, is closing very, very fast, it would seem. And by the way, that rotation doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot, in my opinion, Pete, because they're not going nine. And with the bullpen that they've got right now, uh, they need to go nine, or else we're in some serious trouble. All right, let's pick up that conversation another time, Pete. I have a lot of things I want to get to on the national stage. I want to talk to you about Roger Stone. I want to talk to you about the uh, uh, president um, signing off on the bill last week, uh, on, on, on Friday, rather, to open the government. And then, of course, now the State of the Union has been set for February 5th. So I got, uh, And then also cops being shot in Houston. I got all those things. But, Pete, I want to just give you the thumbnail sketch version of a story I just discussed with Melissa Atkinson, uh, who's a former Senate candidate, obviously. And um, and just get your opinion on it from a legal perspective, whether you have any particular knowledge of the law in Ohio as it pertains to this or not. Uh, and I'm going to do this by giving you the Facebook post that I made during the newscast just a few minutes ago. 
Uh, this can't be real. That's what I said to myself at first. But after the on-air conversation with Melissa this morning, it would appear that I was wrong. It is real. Nine or ten-year-old boys traveling the state, dressing in girls' panties and leggings, doing suggestive dances in bars after hours, filled with men waving dollar bills who tuck those dollar bills into the child's revealing clothing and into fake cleavage created by the child while videotaping the child's sexualized dancing. This is a buffet being served to an audience of pedophiles, it occurs to me, and I shudder to think of what these men do when they leave the bar after wetting their appetites at the child sex show. This can't be legal, can it, attorneys? Is there anything in the Ohio Revised Code about children being in bars after hours where alcohol is served, dancing in their underwear for leering men? How is this not child endangerment? And before I even hit post on this, I'm well aware that the LBGTUXYZQRF7B community is going to uh, call anyone who opposes the pimping of young children as cross-dressing sex objects in a, uh, in a bar a homophobe. Call me what you want, but do not call us exploiters of confused children for the sexual gratification of deviant men. Pete, that's my post. Hopefully that's enough background for you. It's going on down in Lancaster, Ohio, which is southeast of Columbus. And apparently in other parts of the state, this young boy lives in Toledo, but is driven down to these places to do these uh, uh, these uh, burlesque-style cross-dressing shows for, for adult men. Is there, is there anything you know of that could make this any less... Uh, or I'm excuse me, make this um, uh, illegal? Is there anything in the Ohio Revised Code that would stop this if somebody actually tried? Um, I don't. I'm not aware of this circumstances. The first I'm hearing about it, and my first reaction is, if there isn't something to stop it, then uh, decent people, <laughs> yeah, decent people need to do something about this. What you've described to me is just so horrific, and you have to ask yourself, where society gone? I've been telling people for a long time, and I'm not trying to avoid your question that I don't really have an answer for, Bob, because I'm, no. you know, this is not my area. Criminal law is not my area. My my. Spidey sense as a lawyer, having practiced for decades, tells me there that you know for the reasons you mentioned, there probably are a number of statutes that would prohibit this. Um, but what I would like to say is, I've told a lot of people over the years. I've been on the Civil Rights Commission for this is my 18th year. Um, it's a long period of time. Maybe there should be term limits, but I've decided that uh, I needed to be on the commission because, first of all, liberals dominate it, and somebody's got to do this stuff. Um, I've been telling people that the trajectory that we have been on uh, with respect to issues related to this was one that inexorably would get us toward uh, the exploitation of children. And so even though this is just so repugnant and repulsive and reprehensible and horrific, uh, I can't say it's necessarily a surprise and for those who think that you can rent asunder the norms of Western civilization and not have this type of outcome, you've been dreaming. And we're going to see more and more of this. I would hope that we have responsible adults who understand that we have a precious gift in children and that childhood is, is something that should be protected at all costs and that people who would exploit that are individuals who should be gone after at all costs. But when we have a civilization that laughs at these kinds of norms, and again, you, you can bring up the C.S. Lewis quote, um, you, know, um, you know, but we, we laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. But if you start to laugh at morality, you shouldn't be uh, shocked to find these kinds of inc- incidents in our midst. Uh, I'm not to wax 
about C.S. Lewis, but it's true. When we have a society that doesn't abide by traditional Western civilization norms, which now are considered all manner of, of uh, offensive things, then you're going to have buildings in New York City lit up because now you have the great blessing of unlimited abortion at all time. So when you do those things, there's going to be an erosion of um, common sense. There's going to be erosion of morality, and you're going to arrive at this. Again, that was long-winded, Bob. I don't mean to wax philosophical. Uh, I don't know the answer to your question, but common sense tells me that having, if, if this is correct, if this is what's happening, having somebody who is underage in a place that serves alcohol doing these kinds of things, being exploited by adults, uh, there is something called an age of consent, where we recognize that individuals of a certain age, age don't have the mental capacity to make determinative choices about crucial elements of their lives, and if somebody exploits that, that person is going to be responsible for it. But again, uh, if, I, if, I don't if know parents that approve, that, Pete, if I may just do the last thought on this for you, uh, if parents approve, would that mitigate anything? Because mom is no, apparently I, a, a burlesque dancer herself. Uh, yeah. A burlesque dancer for plus-size women of some kind or another. She apparently has the, is the one who has gotten her young son into this in the way that he has, and she's traveling to these shows with him. Would that would that would that make it legal? Yeah, I want to I want to be careful about this since I don't know the specific facts. I always yeah. try to be careful. You got a lot of you know armchair lawyers and TV lawyers out there who opine about things when they don't have the facts and don't have the law. So I don't sure. know. Um, I would say that if it is as you describe, simply because a parent permits it to happen doesn't necessarily make it lawful. And because, again, you don't have an age of consent. For example, um, simply because a parent gives consent for a child of 10, if this child is 10, to marry another child of 10 doesn't make it lawful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Society and the public have an overriding right and need to make sure that these types of situations are mediated in accordance with our norms. And merely because a parent says that they're going to be engaged in certain type of conduct doesn't necessarily make it okay. There are certain things that make it okay, but there are other things where it isn't. So uh, I'm going to have to do a little bit more study on this because, again, this is the first time I've heard of the facts in this case. If they are what they are, it's it's clearly troubling. Uh, And I would suspect that if they are, as you described, that there would be, uh, you know, Ohio Revised Code statutes that would prohibit such things. I'm going to give you triple hearsay just to get your last thought on this before we go to our break. Uh, Triple hearsay. A previous caller told me that he heard from you quoting Bill Bennett uh, that based on the trajectory of this culture and this society, there is going to be a day coming where we demand that God apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah for what he did to them. Is that accurate? Um, I don't remember saying that. If uh, That sounds like something Bill Bennett would say. It's not something that I would have the, the, the mental acumen <laughs> to come up with. But we're, you know, we... That's why hearsay is not admissible, right? Because <laughs> I just did a triple yeah. and might not have gotten it right. So sorry about that. Yeah, you know, like, I, I'm, I'm ill-equipped to be talking about philosophical matters. I think mean, Bill Bennett's very good at doing these things. Somebody like Robbie George, Robert George of Princeton is good at this. Ryan Anderson is good at this. This is, this is something far beyond my pay grade and in, in intellectual level. But there's something that I think can be grasped by anybody regardless of what your intellectual acumen is and that is we've allowed society and civilization to do 
retrograde uh, at a rapid pace, especially in the last, it's, it's astonishing how fast it's happening in the last uh, 10 years or so, but it's been happening gradually over a period of time. And when you allow that to happen, you shouldn't be surprised that one day you wake up and you go, what happened to Western civilization? Western civilization is under assault from so many different quarters in our culture. The left hates Western civilization, derides it at every instance. The media uh, does the same thing. And so we shouldn't be surprised to see the, the uh, carnage, the damage that's done to individuals as a result of not adhering to societal norms that have been in place for millennia. And morality is something that the left and the media, but I repeat myself, uh, you know, dismiss, they're derisive about it, they laugh at, at it. Um, you know, we little, um, uh, you know, benighted Christians and Jews out here who adhere to Western civilization in the Bible, you know, they make fun of us at, a re- at, at, at regular intervals. Um, but these are important things. It's easy to make fun of these things, no doubt about it. It, it. You know, it's a lot easier to make fun of these things than a lot of other things, but you do so at your peril, and then we shouldn't be surprised to see what we have today in terms of our society with all the drug abuse and, you know, all manner mm-hmm. of, of deleterious effects. Peter Kersenow, brilliantly stated as always. Pete, hang on, we're going to get our traffic. I want to come back and ask you about the government. All the shops are open again, and now the State of the Union is set for February 5th, the President's golden opportunity. I want to get your thoughts on that, Roger Stone, and a little more as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks. There are two sides to every story. There's the mainstream media side, and then there's the truth. You are experiencing the truth. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. All right, we continue now with Peter Kersenow. Short segment here, but he has agreed to stay a little bit after the news, which is good news for us. Okay, Pete, I want to talk about the state of negotiations now. Now that the uh, government has been opened again, and tell me if there's any reason for optimism when we listen to somebody like uh, Democratic Senator Maggie Hassan or Hassan, and I apologize for not knowing how she says it, but this is uh, part of what she told MS, or excuse me, CNN on Sunday. You also, Senator, told Bloomberg News just in December, quote, we need strategically placed fencing and other kinds of barriers in certain parts of our border. Does that mean that you would agree to and vote for a deal that does include funding for a border barrier? Well, you know, last Thursday we had a bipartisan discussion on the Senate floor about the importance of ending the shutdown, uh, which there was bipartisan agreement was needless and harmful to the American people and our economy, and that we all pledged to work in good faith to find common ground on border security. And that's what I'm committed to doing. And I think that really starts with making sure we're listening to the experts on the front lines on this. So, and that may include strategic uh, fencing in okay. certain places. So she said strategic fencing and border barriers are something she could get behind if that's what the front line, meaning CBP, the Customs and Border Patrol, if that's what they say we need. Pete, uh, is that is that a good sign, a little crack in the Democrat armor? No, it's not. Um, I'd like to take some hope out of it. As you know, I'm the inveterate optimist. Yes. But we have got copious evidence now over the last several months, and also the last several years. I've been involved in the immigration fight for about 12 years on an intensive basis. 
And when you hear, you know, we've heard those kinds of statements before from discreet congressmen and women, uh, Democrats, who are in districts that might not be bright blue, but might be purple. And they're looking out for their own self-interest. And many of them are looking out for their constituents also. But then at the end of the day, when the leadership cracks the whip, they get in line and vote a certain way. Uh, or they come up with bills that are impalatable to the the folks on the other side of the equation. Um, so I'm, I'm not holding out a whole lot of hope that we're going to get a compromise that uh, the folks in this list, list audience will like. I'm not sure that we're going to get a compromise at all. I don't know what the White House is thinking at this point, um, and I'm not saying that in a critical fashion. I just truly don't know, despite the fact that I probably follow this as close as anyone, and I have communications with folks who are in the fight. But um, I don't know if what the ultimate aim is going to be to get something like $5.7 billion. I don't think that that is plausible based on everything that we see from Pelosi and the others. But I do think that needs to be, at least in terms of consideration for the White House, and I'm not in the position of giving them advice, but if I were, I would say, look, um, there are other mechanisms by which you can get that money. I've you know, all of us have looked at some of the research. There have been stories about this, that there's money out there. I think somebody put it very well, although it's not comparing apples to apples. Someone said, it was a, I forgot who it was, I think it was Mark Meadows, Congressman Mark Meadows of the Freedom mm-hmm. Caucus said, if Obama could send $1.5 billion to Iran that nobody authorized, no congressman voted for it, there should be money somewhere where uh, Trump can get money for the wall. And I think there is. There are various funds that he has access to where he could move things around. You know, we talked about declaring an emergency. I'm not even sure it's necessary to declare an emergency to do this. There are other mechanisms by which this could be done, and all those things should be exploited. Again, I'm just basing it on things that I've read. I don't know, have any particular information on these along these lines, but I'm getting a little frustrated at where we are today. Um, you wonder who do these people, meaning mainly Dems, represent? Because they are championing the interests of people who aren't Americans. Why are they negotiating on behalf of people who don't live here and people who don't have an entitlement to be here and and, and ignoring the profound interests of Americans? Uh, Peter, I want to follow up on that, and I want to also follow up on the part about declaring a national emergency, because I heard some disturbing news this morning that that, uh, really lead me to believe that may not be the best way to go. I'll ask your thoughts on that as we continue. Peter Kersenow joins us right once again right after the news on AM 1420, The Answer. (coughs) Progressive Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. All right, 1036 now. The Bob France Authority does continue with our friend Peter Kersenow, Cleveland attorney, member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, and the host of the Kersenow Report on AM 1420. The answer. Pete, I heard this morning a discussion of uh, the president potentially using the national emergency, declaring the national emergency to then uh, get the Army Corps of Engineers or someone else to build this wall using military or defense funds, saying this is a military uh, homeland security issue. And while I'm fine with that, what I heard was is that President Kamala Harris or President Beto O'Rourke or President Elizabeth Warren or anybody else who might unseat the president in 2020 on the day of the inauguration can very easily write the exact opposite and say, nope, 
any funding or any funding that has been allocated for this is now withdrawn, and any uh, 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 building that has been going on is halted immediately. They may even be able to order the deconstruction of any wall that has been put up because executive orders can be undone by other executives, as we've seen the president do with Barack Obama's executive orders in a number of uh, areas as well. That can't happen. Uh, I don't even know if we can get the whole thing built in the two years before the re-election. Probably not. Uh, so I don't want it to just be partially started and then stopped again. That's why we have to make sure this is a congressional act, do we not? Yeah, I think you're, you're right about that. Whoever said that, obviously, if it's simply that doesn't have legislative support, there isn't any supporting legislative foundation for the thing to continue independent of the continued presence of the person who authorized the emergency. So, you know, we saw that one of the good things about the election of Donald Trump was that virtually everything that Barack Obama did from an executive action has been reversed. It's almost as if Barack Obama had never been president before, even to the extent of a good portion of Obamacare uh, has been reversed. Uh, so you do need that legislative or you have to, in other words, you have to have a law in place that has a legal underpinning. Mm-hmm. I don't know that everything could necessarily be reversed. There may be aspects to this. I mean, the laws can be very complex. So even if uh, you have a President Kamala Harris, could the whole thing be reversed wholesale? Well, there's a lot of speculation. I, I would just say, yeah, in, in essence, it probably would be a dead letter the minute you have someone like that uh, elected. And you don't need to get into the you know, the minutia of the law on this, the the whole matter of the wall is of such importance that you want to make sure it gets built, it gets built the right way. And we don't have just a couple of miles here and a couple of miles there. Uh, one of the things that I think many of us are frustrated about is that at first, and we understood that, you know, there is puffery, <laughs> to, to, to use a legal term that doesn't even adequately uh, describe what politicians do, but there's a lot of puffery during a campaign and afterwards about what a politician is going to be doing, and we understood, I think, that Donald Trump, when he said he wanted $25 billion, might not get $25 billion, but I think most of us were hoping it would be a substantial amount, and uh, speaking only for myself, I was disappointed when I heard $5.7 billion, because even though I don't have the logistical information that tells me how much of a wall gets built with $5.7 billion, I know that's not enough to cover the, the, what needs to be covered. But um, we want something that's adequate, something that protects America. This is not a talking point. It's not political posturing. We actually believe in this stuff, and it's not that we believe in it. There's a factual foundation for such belief. One of the things that I hope the president does, that I think everybody has said they're for, is to get E-Verify in the Kersenau view of how you protect the United States and its sovereignty. There are two principal foundations, two pillars. One is a wall. Number two is E-Verify. Everything else is ancillary. Yes, we can have all kinds of other things that I'm in favor of, but those are the two imperatives that we've got to get accomplished. If you have E-Verify, that shuts off the magnet by 95%. If you have a wall, it prevents people from getting in, but also contraband and other bad things from getting in. You do those two things, we've restored 95% of our sovereignty. We're going to be in decent shape. But I don't hear anybody really talking 
critically and aggressively about E-Verify, which I think is a huge mistake. Every once in a while you hear someone like the president, you know, mention it, but right now I think you probably could get a consensus to expand. Oh, yeah, you're going to get a lot of opposition from <laughs> Democrats, but I think there's enough out there because it's not a huge expenditure of money for us to get mandatory E-Verify. And that would get us, That's to me... And if you do the analysis, that is much more important and effective than a $5.7 billion wall, whatever that buys you. Pete, you're talking about mandatory verify. Very important. Completely agree. The other thing we need to talk about is mandatory voter ID. I'm sure you just saw the the latest news story Uh, in Texas. Some 95,000 registered voters. Uh, are are illegal. They are illegal aliens. They do not have a right to vote here. And according to the report, over 58,000 of them actually did cast ballots at least once since 1996. Um if if they, you know we keep hearing the left tell us there's no such thing as voter fraud you guys are manufacturing this cuz you're trying to limit the ability of minorities to vote and when you demand voter id you know minorities aren't capable and qualified to be able to find id like white people are you're 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 discriminating against them they're not capable that's the story we're told all the time but it's not it's not made up it is real and this is just the latest and probably largest example of that Pete yeah, absolutely. Again, this is another subject that the Civil Rights Commission has addressed over the almost two decades I've been on it. I've studied this intensely, and I mean, it's out there. The information is there for any good faith person, and that unfortunately eliminates many of the partisan media. Uh, it's there, and it's explicit, and it's clear. Let me just give you a couple data points along those lines. I'm glad you brought it up. I didn't know you were going to talk about this. But uh, each year, uh, former Secretary of State uh, or, or Secretary of State John Houston of Ohio uh, would come up with data with respect to voting. And I think he testified a couple of years ago before Congress that in, I think it was in 2014. Well, let me go to 2017, because I do have the data for that. Okay. In Ohio alone. In Ohio alone in 2017, again, not a big election year, there were 29 elections that were decided by one vote or they were ties. So when you talk about 58,000, which I guarantee you, Bob, is an undercount of the number of non-citizens who voted in elections in Texas. But it doesn't take a whole lot to change an election. We have been saturated for the last two years with apoplexy on the part of media and Democrats, although I repeat myself again, that Russia affected the outcome of the election, even though there's absolutely no evidence of it. But every single election cycle, we have multiple individual elections that are affected or may have even been decided by non-citizens voting, because it doesn't take a whole lot. Remember that in 2000, the presidential election, where I don't remember the exact number, and I used to know this off the top of my head, where something like 130 million or 140 million people voted, that was decided by 538 votes in Florida. That's all. And uh, I'd had stats on this, and if, we, if I knew we were talking about this, I would have pulled the exact stats. But let me just give you some idea. There was an estimate that there are, I believe it was, in the neighborhood of 800,000 illegal aliens in the state of Florida. Maybe it's less than that. Right. But even if only one, and by the way, the, we've done studies that show that, lo and behold, big surprise, uh, more than 90% of illegal aliens, when they do vote or non-citizens vote, vote for Democrats. Okay, we, that, that's, that's clear. Not a big surprise. But if, there, if only 1% 
if only 1% of legal aliens vote, that would have tipped the election in Florida. The same is true with the gubernatorial election recently in, in Virginia, decided by just a few hundred votes. That would have tipped because Virginia has a sizable non-citizen or illegal alien population. The, the Washington state election from 2002, the gubernatorial election, decided by about 630 votes. Again, that could have flipped very easily based on the number of illegal aliens who would have voted. So this is a real concern when you're talking about sovereignty, when you're making sure that foreigners don't affect the outcome of American plebiscites. That's something we should be taking a look at, and that's something that could be corrected. But the left doesn't want to do that. And you do the math on this. Why is that? Well, what if 90% of illegals voted Republican? Well, we'd know a couple things. Number one is we would have a 50-foot wall with razor wire, moats, and alligators <laughs> along the southern border. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Everybody knows this, and we are being, being inundated with both stupidity and mendacity from media and Democrats. But again, I repeat myself about why it's immoral to have a wall. Peter, that is 100% correct, and that's exactly the point here. And it's not just voters. They're going to vote, but as we've talked about many times, just their presence here gives them more congressional representation and draws more dollars from the federal budget to these areas that have all this higher population. That's why they were so against having the question asked about citizenship on the census, which, of course, is something that's going before the courts uh, even as we speak. Now, Pete, before you go, I did want to ask you one question about Roger Stone. You saw what happened, obviously. Uh, they came to his house at about 6 o'clock in the morning, and because he was armed with a couple of fifty cal uh, Browning machine guns and, uh, and was uh, uh, a rocket launcher and a grenade, they had to send 29 SWAT team-dressed um, uh, police officers, or federal officers, rather, FBI agents, with long guns. They had a chopper overhead. They had some kind of amphibious uh, craft uh, out behind his place because apparently there's a canal there, and if he tried to make a water escape, they wanted to be able to run him down. And they did all of this in front of the cameras of CNN, who they leaked the story to that they were about to go and arrest Roger Stone. Now, of course, I'm joking about the fact that he had 50 cal machine guns. Uh, he is a 66-year-old man nonviolent, has not been accused of a violent crime, and they went after him as if he was ISIS or El Chapo or somebody, all for the cameras to put on this show of strength against the Trump campaign. Um, have you ever seen anything like that, and what was your reaction, Pete? Um, I have seen, read about, and heard about such things on multiple occasions. In the old Soviet Union, in China and places like that. Now, uh, I don't want to be hyperbolic about this. I, I really don't. So I don't want. I don't use those kinds of comparisons lightly. Uh, I mean, I've I've had relatives who've been who've come from totalitarian states who were subjected to things such as this. This is real, uh, and we shouldn't diminish the, the effect of this. Some may be inclined to dismiss it as a one-off, but what happens? History shows is that one-offs sometimes turn into two-offs, and before you know it, they turn into multiple offs. Mm -hmm. This is not something that should be countenanced in the United States of America, especially considering, as you described very adequately, the nature of the threat from Roger Stone, you know, as if he is Osama bin Laden. Uh, we have, in the United States of America, uh, a rule of law, and it's implicit within that rule of law that the law will act responsible and proportionate to the nature of the offense and threat. This was an abomination, and it was a further abomination by the fact that CNN was tipped off. There's absolutely no doubt 
they were tipped off because how else would they know that at five or six o'clock in the morning there was going to be this display and no one else knew about it. Uh, and I think uh, yesterday Tucker Carlson did the analysis on this that made it pretty clear. But even if um, there wasn't you know, an overt tip-off here, the very fact that you had this kind of marshalling of military law enforcement power, given the level of the threat, is not something that the Founding Fathers would have ever envisioned. And without, I, I, I don't mean to be waxing historical here, but there's a reason why we had a Second Amendment. And I'm not suggesting that a Roger Stone should have a weapon and should be firing back. That's not what I'm saying. But the purpose behind the Second Amendment was, there were several of them, but the overriding impetus was to make sure that we didn't have the kind of overbearing authority that was witnessed when we saw this ridiculous show of force against Roger Stone. No American, regardless of who you are, what party you, you should be on, can be comfortable with what we saw and should countenance with what we saw. Countenance what we saw. Um, I, I mean, look, I, you could probably tell I'm a little worked up about this, but that's not the United States of America, and this Mueller team uh, really has a lot to answer for. Um, and I would like to know why it is that we don't have similar shows of force for people who've done things far worse or things that are similar to what Roger Stone's been accused of, but the person happens to come from an approved political perspective. That's exactly right. And by the way, you mentioned, I'm glad you mentioned the name Osama bin Laden there because that has been pointed out a number of times on social media in the last 24 hours or 48 hours. They sent 12 men into a heavily fortified compound uh, in Abbottabad, Pakistan, where um, uh, where uh, uh, Osama bin Laden was hold uh, was was hiding out. They spent they sent 12 to get Osama bin Laden. They sent 29 to get Roger Stone from uh, Fort Lauderdale. I mean, just think about that. And again, in SWAT gear, tactical teams, long guns, and everything else. I, we didn't send anybody to help our, our, our uh, Americans in, in Benghazi for crying out loud. And we're going to send 29 federal agents at this guy. And we're supposed to believe that the deep state doesn't still exist, that the FBI isn't still biased in what they are doing. They may have gotten rid of Comey and McCabe and Strzok and Page and the rest. But Pete, the, the, the deep state, is still running the the FBI because there's no other explanation or excuse for what they just did other than to try to embarrass and humiliate Trump and to try to uh, uh, excite uh, the anti-Trumpers who want to see Stone and everybody else associated with him taken down. Roger Stone should just be very relieved that he never attended Covington Catholic High School because, my goodness, can you consider what the show force would be if he had done so? That's Peter Kersenow, and that's why we have him on. Brilliant as always, my friend. God bless. Thank you so much, Pete. We'll talk to you soon. Take care, Bob. You got it. Peter Kersenow joining us. I got one short segment left. If you want to be a part of it, dial now. Oh, I got an attorney on the line, I see. Maybe we can learn a little bit more about uh, pimping out kids for sexualized shows in front of drunken adults at bars in Ohio. We'll talk about that coming right up on AM 1420 The Answer. This station. All right, ten fifty-five. Final segment of the broadcast is a short one, as it frequently is, uh, because I went a little long with Peter Kirsch. Now, I apologize for that. Not more Peter is better than less Peter. That's certainly clear on this program. All right, I've got an attorney on the line. I'm told his name is Tim, and he joins us on AM fourteen twenty. The answer, hopefully, with some answers to some of our questions about the case in Lancaster. Tim, good morning. 
Hey, good morning, Bob. How you doing? I'm good, thank you, uh, Tim. I was uh, hoping an attorney might call. Thank you for uh, answering the uh, the bell there and uh, and letting me know uh, if there's something. Le- I mean, internet child pornography is illegal. Uh, you can't have young boys taking their clothes off online. If you get caught with that, you're going to jail. Uh, why is it allowed to happen in in person and uh, in bars <laughs> the way uh, that we describe that story? Well, Bob, um, and I'm not sure what kind of venue this place is. I don't know if it's regularly, you know, you said the, the mother is one of these cabaret dancers or something like that. Yeah, exactly. If if, if this is, a, and I'm not on Facebook, I remove myself from all that nonsense, but um, if this place is considered to be a, in essence, an adult entertainment establishment, which means, you know, they do the cabaret dancing and kind of the burlesque kind of thing, then I think this would fall under, uh, there is an actual high revised code, um, 2907.39, which talks about permitting a juvenile on the premises of an adult entertainment establishment. And basically what it says is if the, if the performance goes to, because uh, then when you look at the definitions of sexually oriented material for juvenile, if it goes to the prurient interest of depiction of a juvenile, in some kind of, uh, you know, and, and from what you're telling me, they are definitely sexually suggestive, um, then I think they could be in trouble for this. I mean, this is definitely, there's an Ohio Revised Code statute out there that would, I think, cover this situation. Now, I don't know if this is just like a some townie bar that does this once a night, but I think if they're doing this kind of thing, it definitely falls under the, under the definition. And to, to quote it, the material or performance is patently offensive, for prevailing standards in the adult community as with a whole respect to what is suitable for juveniles. That's just one part of it. So I think there's definitely some stuff out there, and, and I don't see anything under the definition under that code that says, okay, if the mom says it's okay, kind of like what Peter was saying, mm-hmm. you know, you can't, you can't legally say, okay, two 10 years old, old get married. So I think this would definitely fit that. Tim, would it have to be classified in some way uh, with the state as a, a place of adult entertainment? Because it's my understanding that this is just a bar, and it's a bar where they occasionally have these shows. Uh, and they have adults going out there and doing these burlesque shows or these cross-dresser shows or whatever the heck they're called. Uh, and, and this mother brings the child to do the same thing with her, or not with her, but doing his own his own performances. I think these are just bars. And it's not just one, by the way. I think this is uh, kind of a traveling sideshow that they do at various bars throughout the state right well it's exploitation of the kids but adult cabaret under that section means any bar that regularly does this so if they're doing this so if it's a regular thing so if it's regular thing then 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 we might be able to use that statute yeah and i think there's okay i think more than three times is regular (laughs) i would agree i would agree hey tim i got a jet my friend i'm up against the end of the show and mike gallagher thank you for the call and the legal perspective on that we'll follow up on that story and much more on tomorrow's broadcast but for now stay where you are because mike gallagher is next enjoy the silence Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosion. 
explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.